This podcast is sponsored by Slow Wave. Are you looking for more calm and less stress in your day? The world is chaotic and distractions are everywhere. It's easier for me to be creative when I feel calm. And that's why I'm really into the new modern CBD experience from Slow Wave. This new brand designed a CBD line to help creators feel calm and centered, to be more creative, stay focused, and do their best work. I usually start my day with their Super Halo Day Blend gummies and a cup of coffee, and it really helps me get dialed in so I can get more done. Visit slowwave.com and use the code BETTERYET15 to save 15% off your order. Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation that started in 2016, and it's a conversation that continues this week with my guest, Russell Edling. We're talking Kite Party. We're talking Cherry. We're talking Golden Apples. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to all who are subscribing to the show on your podcast player of choice. I'd like to invite you to visit our website, Better Yet Pod. Dot com and check out our YouTube page, youtube.com slash at better yet pod. How we doing today? I'm drinking that Dagger Mountain coffee, daggermountain.com. Follow them on Instagram at daggermtn coffee, my favorite coffee roaster in the US of A, right here in Valparaiso, Indiana, the home of better yet. Since October of 2020, I'm drinking a brand new Comey Covell from Honduras. Tasting notes of lychee, pixie sticks, and fruit punch. Pick yourself up a bag at DaggerMountain.com. How are we doing, Bubba? Excited to have Russell Edling on the show this week. One of the shining lights of the Philly music community. We saw another one of our Philly friends just last night. Slaughter Beach Dog was in town, saw Jake and his band play a sold-out show at Talia Hall. They played a great set. I love that new Slaughter Beach Dog record. was also at Talia Hall last week to see Blonde Redhead. Shout out to Tommy B for the lovely gift. Blonde Redhead on Halloween. They played a great set. First time seeing Blonde Redhead. One of the greats. Things are good here. Hope this is finding you all well, too. We are sponsored by Slow Wave CBD. Slow Wave is a brand new CBD brand that specializes in crafting CBD products for creative people. Helps you feel calm, centered, and inspired. 
Slow Wave CBD helps me get into the creative zone for the podcast, for songwriting, for all my creative activities. This is a high-quality product, third-party tested. Edibles are fully vegan, and they taste great, too. Follow them on Instagram, at ShopSlowWave, and visit ShopSlowWave.com and use the code BETTERYET15 to save 15% off your order. All right, my guest this week is Russell Edling. Russell is the singer and guitarist of Golden Apples who put out an outstanding record last month called Banana Sugar Fire. Russell is someone I've been following for many years now. I'm a huge fan of his old band, Kite Party. Their two LPs, Baseball Season and Come On Wandering, are records that I cherish, and I told him so in 2012 when we met for the first time at Firehouse Pizza and Pub in Normal, Illinois. After Kite Party broke up, Russell started Cherry and would eventually change the name of the band to Golden Apples. Over the course of the project's existence, Russell has played with so many collaborators and has really found some solidity with Golden Apples in their current lineup that features Melissa Brain of Marge and Goshapon, Matt Shurman of Lowercase Roses, and Mimi Gallagher of Eight and Nona. Russell has collaborated with so many of our friends like Evan Bernard and Matt Schimmelfenig, and he speaks really poignantly on some of the other folks he's played music with over the years, including Spencer Hogan's, who played in Cherry and Three Man Cannon, and who passed away in 2019. I was prepared to talk about Spencer for the interview, but was really touched by the way Russell spoke about him in the interview, and that really left an impression on me. This is a great conversation. We actually didn't get to talk about all the things I wanted to talk about. Russell is also an incredibly talented graphic designer. He's done all the artwork for the Golden Apples records, along with LP layouts for the Berries, Cave People, and the aforementioned Slaughter Beach Dog. Check out his website, russelledling.com and enjoy this conversation. It's one that I've been thinking about a lot since it happened, and it's one that makes me really thankful to be doing this podcast. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. We'll see you in two weeks. For now, here's me and Russell Edling. Hell yeah. Coming to us from Philadelphia, right? Yep. Russell Edling is on the show. Hi, Russell. Welcome to Better Yet. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Good. We were just reminiscing over the fact that we haven't seen each other in 12 years. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, time flies when, uh, uh, you know, that's just what time does, I think, whether you're having fun or not. (laughs) (laughs) So where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania in the coal region. Uh, Oh, okay. In this town called Tamaqua, yeah. Yeah. Where oh, uh, Are your folks still there? Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, and I was actually just there hanging out with them last week. Uh, it's, it's very autumnal up there right now. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so when you say the coal region, is the coal, coal industry still thriving up there? Is that like what they talk about when they talk about coal country during the election I mean, cycles? Probably, technically... That's what they talk about. I don't think there's, I don't think there's really much going on in terms of coal mining these days. Eh, like 
a hundred years ago, 75 years ago, there was a ton of coal mining mm-hmm. in that area. Uh, they, they mostly the, the hard coal anthracite coal. That was oh. like the big export. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it was like the whole community, the whole entire economy for that whole area was pretty much coal and trains you know, to import or to export the coal mm-hmm. and, uh, all that went away. Like over the course, like when my dad was growing up, he, like, I talked to him about it sometimes and cause he grew up right in town in Tamaqua and I'd be like, yeah, you know, then they stopped using that thing mm-hmm. and then that thing got knocked down and it was just like this slow crumble. Um, uh, and then I, you know, by the time I came around, there was like no economy in Tamaqua, really. Yeah. Um, How close were you to Philly? Not close. I had no idea where I was just talking about this with someone. I didn't even really know like where Philadelphia was for like the good part of my like childhood before I was aware of geography. Yeah. It was never somewhere I went. You uh-huh. know? Never. Yeah. Uh, it's like two hours away. Oh, so it's not that bad. It's but. not that far, but <laughs> but when you're like living in like a sort of you're not like a you're not in a suburb of Philadelphia. No, yeah, and I don't even think that was sort of the conversation I was having. It was like I don't think Tamaqua is like a suburb of anywhere. Like mm-hmm. it was just its own little lost community. <laughs> What'd your folks do? Uh, my mom was a teacher. Uh, she's a teacher. And then she became like a uh, administrator eventually. And my dad worked at a turkey farm uh, for a while. And he worked at like a furniture, like a, a an upholstery shop. Uh-huh. And then he got a job working for the state at like a hospital for, um, you know, people with intellectual disabilities and uh he worked there for like 15 years and then he retired and my mom retired and now they just they just hang and work on their various passion projects my mom is like a fiber artist a fiber artist what does that mean yeah she um well she started like you know she always would knit and sew when i was a kid and everything but she got really into basket weaving and like now she is really into weaving like uh, you know, like tapestries or, or yeah. all kinds of cloth. And she'll actually get like wool, like a fleece. Like that's a fleece is what you call like basically like the, uh, the bounty of wool, like from uh-huh. a sheep. She'll like uh-huh. get that and like process it into yarn and spin it herself and like do the whole thing. Um, so she's like always busy and it's always nice to sort of like, hear what she's been up to there's always something going on yeah yeah yeah. that's so charming i know it is pretty pretty idyllic uh when you think about it it's like yeah you know but do you have siblings yeah i do i have four oh shit four older sisters yeah whoa yeah are you like were you like a surprise baby are you like pretty close in the age to no i'm i'm way younger um like my mom was married um before my dad and she had my sisters with her first husband so i guess oh, they're my okay. half sisters yeah 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 but then so you know i mean it's kind of crazy my mom like had these kids four girls one after another she had the first one when she was 19 
second one she's 20 and so on mm-hmm. and then uh you know she got divorced and i don't know years later met my dad they got married then i was the thing mm-hmm. so my youngest sister is 6 years older than i am uh yeah but but you I mean, grew I'm up like just... an only child essentially uh no i feel like i grew up like with five moms. Oh, I guess, yeah, they, like, came along. <laughs> they were part of the package deal. Yeah. It's not like she, <laughs> she gets divorced and then who knows what happens to these children. Yeah, no, they just wandered off yeah. into the woods. Um, okay. Never to be seen again. <laughs> <laughs> so is there music in the house when you were growing up? Yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, my mom, like, it's funny because my dad... My dad was like such a music person, but like I, um, I like didn't really understand the music that he was dealing with. He was like, <clears throat> he mostly listened to classical and jazz. Mm-hmm. The closest he got to like pop music was Tom Waits. Okay. Like yeah. Tom Waits, Captain Beefheart, um, uh, mother's invention the weirdos yeah um yeah like the best the best stuff um mm-hmm. but you know so you listen to that and you listen to classical and jazz and i was just like as a kid i'm just like okay i don't understand that so i'm just gonna like put it out of my head pretty much uh my mom i remember she had like credence uh she i feel like my mom introduced me to the beatles uh mm. which is kind of like the thing for me yeah pretty much but then my older sisters, they were the ones who got me into like punk at, when I was really young. Like I remember, yeah. yeah, getting into that stuff when I was a kid just because they they were listening to it, all this stuff. So I was like, you know, really young listening to like all this funny, funny arrangement of things. Like it would be like Beck, Less Than Jake, Radiohead, uh, catch 22 i don't know just mm-hmm. like all this stuff at the same time when i was like very young um so yeah i feel like that was kind of the way through my sisters really that music happened to me yeah when did you like start i guess getting interested enough in it to want to play it i think it was started the first time i ever went to a show i went to this show it was this festival that a friend of my sister's would do every year called Suckfest, and it's basically like in in uh, in at his like parents' house and his at the, at their property they had like a pavilion sort of situation. I remember this one year I went. This is how it was anyway, and um, they would just get a ton of bands to play, like kind of local bands. But you know, I first time I went there, I think I was ten, and I had no idea like anyone playing an instrument was like a rock star. You know, I didn't know that they were from the next town over or whatever, but, um, yeah, just like seeing it happen. And then, um, by the time I was in middle school, my friends were starting to hold shows and we would, I got involved with that. And like, you know, there's a bunch of like 12, 13 year old kids, like, booking shows it was so funny because we had like email addresses for people yeah and uh we would just like go to the community like we'd go to the borough building and you could 
you could rent the this community center for like two hundred fifty dollars for the day, mm-hmm. and that's what we would do. And then we'd find someone to bring a PA, and it was just crazy. But I think like seeing those kind of shows and then starting to hold shows, it was just like an inevitable progression that like yeah. eventually I'm going to start playing music, mm-hmm. you know, because it was so important to me. Uh, but it just. I, it wasn't until I was like in middle school when I started actually being like, okay, I'm going to be in a band too now. Yeah. But like, it's crazy that you're saying like, it wasn't until middle school that you were saying that because it, there's just so much happening around you so young Yeah. too. Oh man, that's, that's such a cool experience, especially being where you are, where you're not, you don't really have to think about like going to Philly to see shows. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't. The closest thing was you go to Wilkes-Barre. There was this place called Cafe Metro, Cafe Metropolis. That was like the only thing that I knew of. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the only thing that I was ever like, oh, I wish I could go to that, you yeah. know, when yeah. I was like really young. But um, mostly it was just like people from the next town over who were playing music. And yeah, it was always just like, I can do this too. Everyone can do this. Yeah. Know? So what did you start? You start with guitar? Um, no, I started as a lead singer. Um, <laughs> I didn't know how to play guitar. I didn't know how to, I mean, I played trumpet in elementary school. Yeah. But yeah, I started as a singer because I, I don't know. I just, I wanted to be in a band, but I couldn't do anything basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so that was how I started. And, um, Eventually, my friend who played guitar was getting rid of his first guitar, and I got it from him. I forget. I probably just borrowed it forever, one of those situations. Uh, and that's how I started playing. Um, yeah, and I, I've never been a good guitar player. I'm still not very good. Is that true? <laughs> like- yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> I mean, I can I can play, but... I'm. I was never it's your, like, it's your like songwriting vessel. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I wish I could say that I've just like picked it up and like really got into the, the, the technical aspects of playing the instrument. I mean, I aspire to it now more than ever, honestly, like playing, I, I want to play better. So I'm trying to learn chords and different stuff, you mm-hmm. know, but I, it's really just like a means to an end kind of, I, yeah, even when I was playing earlier, like I didn't even know how to play bar chords or regular chords, or I didn't know what an A was until I'd been in bands for years. It was always just like riffs. I would just play like little yeah. riffs and react to other things. I didn't know what it was really. It was just uh-huh. completely a mystery. And well, I well, you're all you're self taught on all of this stuff too. So well, I did take guitar lessons, uh, yeah. but they didn't really take to me. I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just remember like I'd bring in. It was so funny. Like I don't know if you ever had this experience with guitar lessons where you just like bring in a song. Yeah, totally. They, like, it became that it. so quickly because I was like not interested in learning you know, whatever they were teaching me. I started playing bass, so they were teaching me to play Red Hot Chili Peppers songs. So I was really uninterested in that. But yeah, yeah, totally. You just bring in like, you know, a no effects song. It's like, tell me how to play this. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the guitar teacher was just like, uh, okay. (laughs) Uh, So it's like, 
you know, put your index finger on the third fret, put your ring finger on the fifth fret. That's it. You know, like, just like, (laughs) it's like, really, this is all you want. I remember bringing in, um, uh, blank generation by Richard Hell and the Voidoids when I was like, you know, I don't know in middle school. And like, there's a solo in that song Uh that is so absurd. (laughs) I think that he actually thought I was like messing with him because he was like, dude, I don't even know. This is not a riff. Like this is not like, he's just like, I remember I can still see him, the guitar teacher just being, he just sounds like he's just like, you know, just sticking his fingers in there and just like, I don't know, making pick noise. Basically. He was just like, you could, this is not a guitar solo, dude. That's so fucking funny. (laughs) Yeah, man. It's funny though, that you do say that you were a singer at first, because I think one, one thing that stands out to me in hearing kite party for the first time was just, you have a really great, singing voice like so my question was like did you discover that early but i guess if you're the singer of your first bands then like you have to right i mean i guess i thank you for saying that i it's very generous i i don't wouldn't consider myself to have a very good voice i'm always in my head about it sounding kind of funny but i think like uh yeah i just i would emulate the stuff that I listened to endlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would, would try to understand how Tim Armstrong could get his voice to sound like that. I, I would. I thank you so for hard. Tim Armstrong. Yeah. yeah, but it makes sense. Yeah, it's the gruff. Like, how does he do it? But how does he do it? You know? Yeah, I think you got it. I like man, especially those early Kite Party records. Just the the gruff that you had in that band was so, so cool. so distinctive. Thank you. I remember we would get a lot of replacements references or or, uh, comparisons. And I was definitely a fan of the replacements, but I like never really thought about it like that. I never thought like, Oh, you know, I sound like Paul Westerberg. Yeah. I've never never thought thought that that at all. (laughs) But I remember, I remember that was something that people said a lot and I was like, okay, I guess. If anything, I, I at that time in that band, I was really, I was going for like a a Walkman kind of thing. Oh, sure. I was sure. really into yeah. the Walkman. Love and, the Walkman. Yeah, just the way he would like throw his voice around like Bob Dylan, kind of, but like almost more absurd. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's cool. I want to try to do stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It was the thing that really stuck out about Kite Party too, especially in that like emo scene where the vocals, you know, are, you know, we're all everybody's doing their best um, sure <laughs> yeah but you just had this like real like rock and roll voice cool that's awesome <laughs> i really um yeah i don't know i it wasn't something i i i feel like i've heard my voice change over the years like like i couldn't i don't know if i could do that still i mean it's yeah. funny because a couple years ago kite party played one show i heard that yeah it was uh it was interesting. Um, and I like, I don't remember. I think I, I guess it's like a modality I could sort of get into to sing those songs that way. Cause I think I kind of did, but I don't, I don't really write that way anymore. I yeah. mean, not intentionally. Yeah. It's just not what happens. No, it's, it's so funny. Like listening to the old kite party stuff and then hearing, you know, you come in on anti ant car and it's like, I, I know it's, I know it's Russell, but <laughs> it is so different. Cool. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I still think I was talking to a friend of mine sort of recently. We were like going over like, oh man, I used to play in this band. We were like sharing our old bands with one mm-hmm. another and stuff. And I I sent him a link to uh, the song Spirit Gum yeah. that was on the first kind well the like first LP yeah. yeah and I feel like that one is like sort of close to a Golden Apples era like mm-hmm. project song I was like this kind of sounds like where where things are are at now in a way but I don't know that was just my like kind of scrambled brain thought i don't know i love that song i love those kite party records we're gonna get into them in a (laughs) second here was were um were you was there a band before kite party like your high school band yeah there were two uh well there were kind of or kind of three um it's funny that i'll just indulge myself for just a second the first thing i ever did was i think we were called the sellout we were called the sellouts and i just remember like we played a couple covers. We I don't think we ever. There was one show. It was a battle of the bands. That the day of the show, I got cold feet and I just didn't show up. Oh wow! And they played without me, and I still feel silly about that. I think that was like sixth grade though. And then anyway, we had this band called the New Rhetoric, and that was like uh, such a funny name. That was like <laughs> it's uh, really funny. Name. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to be like anti-flag. I loved yeah, anti-flag. Totally. I loved like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I loved, I loved just like the intensity of that stuff. I loved Alkaline Trio at the time. Yeah, um, I love Alkaline Trio to this day. So it was just like, yeah, I was just mining from. I loved AFI big time. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Davey Havoc was like a huge vocal. Uh, oh sure, inspiration for me too. Somewhere between the like Davey Havoc, Tim Armstrong like mm-hmm. thing. Anyway, um, and then. Uh, there was it, was, it was the same people that were in New Rhetoric, the New Rhetoric. We decided, thanks to uh, basically this band from Philadelphia called U.S. Funk Team, they had come and played a show that we had set up. And they sounded like nothing that I'd ever heard before. Like, I'd never seen a band play like this before. They had Fender Strats. They were mm-hmm. playing at a combo amps. They were playing clean. Everyone who ever played our our community center had a half stack right they all had half stacks and they all had les pauls or sgs and here come these guys like and they're cool they're dressed cool they're weird they're from philly they got strats and you know hot rod deluxes and we were like forever changed to me they sounded like nirvana because that was the only thing that like i could just like draw the connection to quickly Mm -hmm. for some reason um but yeah, US Funk team were so cool. And we kind of just like changed instantly. And uh, we started writing these like indie songs and we changed our band name. I was looking on eBay to buy a guitar. I got this Dan Electro guitar and the the seller was called the Mother Daughter Team. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, team, like US Funk team, but this is just <laughs> random and it's, it's it sounds cool and uh you know i don't know confusing so this is going to be our new band name so we changed our band name to the mother daughter team and we like <laughs> debuted our new set at this one show and i feel like that was like the beginning of like indie rock yeah you know my 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 career as an indie rock <laughs> musician <laughs> um 
Yeah. So then, you know, Kite Party was like a slight change up from that lineup. It was mm-hmm. still Justin, my friend Justin, and my friend Pete and I, and then Tim, who now does Sun Organ. Um, he joined the band, and yeah, we we became our other friend Dave was in the Mother Dar team, and he left. Uh, well, I mean, I, the band kind of broke up and then reformed, but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah that's how that's sort of how Kite Party came to be. And what about Pat? It was Pat from that area too yeah well kind of pat was from clark summit uh outside of scranton and we didn't really like i didn't really know pat until after living in philly for a couple years because you know everyone from up here moved to philadelphia right around 2008 9 whatever yeah we all kind of moved down to philly and yeah i met up with pat met pat because he had a band and i don't know we all kind of like got together uh, at shows, basement shows. And that's kind of like Tim and Pat became really close. And Pat was like, yo, I play drums. And our drummer wanted to move to pursue a PhD. And so he did that. And mm-hmm. then it was really funny because Andre, Andre Pagani joined our band uh, as a drummer. Like I remember Tim was talking to Dre and he was like, yeah, Andre said he would play drums. And I was like, okay, cool. And I remember we all got together and practiced and Andre came and like, he like hung out while we were practicing. And this was before Pat joined, obviously. And he was like, we were done. And and Dre was like, cool. Yeah, I would join the band, uh, but I should probably play guitar. (laughs) And so we were like, okay, so he just joined the band. We needed to replace our drummer, but Dre just joined the band to play guitar. And then we still had to find a drummer. <laughs> and luckily, Pat uh, was like the best. I remember the first time we practiced with them, I was just thinking like, okay, this is going to be crazy because our drummer has a very you know, idiosyncratic way of playing. So I wonder how anyone is going to learn these drum parts. And like, we just showed up to practice and Pat already knew every song. Like it, wild. We, just, we just played the set. It was yeah. incredible. Yeah. That accounts for the large amount of guitars in Kite Party, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Three guitar players. with And with, you know, everyone having like so many pedals, everyone's ripping the delay nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to like, I had to like remove the delay pedal from my, from my landscape for, for a couple of years after that. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so, and you, you, did you go to college? I did. Yeah. I I went to, uh, Temple. They have an art school called Tyler School of Art. I went there for graphic design. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you were, yeah, doing the thing down there, man, those Kite Party records, I just, yeah, there was, you know, there was so much fun shit coming out of the Philadelphia area at that time. There was so many great emo bands, so many great pop punk bands. And then, like, when you all put that first record out, I was like, man, this is, like, hitting a spot that's, like, not really here yet. Of, like, indie rock and, and punk. And, yeah, like, all of that noise, too. All of those pedals. I feel like Kite Party yeah. was a few years ahead on the pedal train cool (laughs) yeah i mean thanks for saying that i i feel like i don't know i mean we were i i personally was just like i never really i never wanted to be a punk band like i i wanted to do like all the bands i listened to 
were like not that. And I, for the most part, I mean, like I said, I came very much so from this place of like rancid and no effects. Like I still love listening to that stuff. Uh, mm. like for sure. But I remember in Kaipari, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be a punk band. I don't want to like play all these punk shows, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, that was just like the reality of the situation. I feel like you can hear that. You can hear that, like that, uh, I don't know, tension of like, who are we? What are we doing? We're, Mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to figure this thing out, but we don't know what we're doing. And I don't know in that, in that sort of uncertainty, I think there, there are some like pretty original things, but you know, I tend to like look at everything in my past as like a scorched. <laughs> I can uh, I wreckage. can I can relate to that for yeah. sure. I just have twelve years of just like singing Arizona in my head. Like it's never really like gone away. <laughs> cool, that's awesome. That was a fun song. Um, you made those records at the Headroom with Kyle Pulley. And yeah, yeah. You did come on wandering it. Um, with Kyle and, and Joe at Big Mama's, like those come on wandering too, like sounds so good. Thank you. That was a very, very much so a group effort. Like Evan Bernard worked on that record. Uh, Matt Shim, who yeah. two friends of I the mean, show, yeah, 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 yeah. He, you know, every a lot of people, a lot of folks worked on that record. Um, and I know that there was so much at that point, there was like a lot of tension. We just like really wanted, we were like, okay, now we're ready to like, you know, play big shows and go on tour all the time. Uh, And I think there was just a lot of pressure self-imposed. And I don't know, when I listen to that stuff, I I think of that, I hear that. But I do think, you know, there was, uh, what I love about that record now when I listen to it is like, I can start to hear Tim, like, there's a lot of like Tim songs there. Mm -hmm. And it's like... It's cool. It's I love to hear that stuff. I know that I don't know. I, I I wonder sometimes what it would have been like if if I would have just like been like, all right, Tim, you you should just do whatever you want for this song because I was I was like, <laughs> no, it should be this way instead. Like, yeah. so combative all the time. Well, it's you know, tough, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know you've got all the songs on that first one, and then Tim's just got like a couple on Come On Wandering, but they're so fucking good they're so good sterile I mean, everybody is like yeah. jesus man yeah he's i mean and it's funny too because like we really would write them collaboratively like mm-hmm. especially the first record like th- we would just show up to practice like all right we're gonna write today and then we would just come up with stuff like yeah i haven't written like that since then to be honest and it's like so you know i i can't say I, I sang the songs, you know, but like, and I guess I wrote the vocal melodies, but like, you know, we wrote those songs together hundred percent. And, um, with, with the second record, it's also true. It's just like Tim would have more articulate ideas and I'd be like, no, we should be, we should jam on it. And, you know, I'd come mm-hmm. up with a vocal and I'd be like, Oh, what about this? You know? Yeah. And then, I don't know, just classic, <laughs> like creative control. There's like, um, is that like Hot Snake song, Creative Control, or maybe it's Drive Like Jay, who is just like, just yeah. like Creative Control. I don't know. I remember identifying with that a lot. Like, yeah, it's 
it's hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> it did hit like when when you all broke up because it was pretty soon after that record came out, right? I feel like yeah, yeah, you're done. Like yeah, it was such a like oh man, like what what could have been because I thought like you know Half Life, that second song on that record, I think is my favorite kite party song. Oh, cool. Um, but it was a feeling of like oh man, they were like. They were going to do something. I had you guys pegged, but, you know, works out. Saw um, Tim and Pat playing in the first incarnation of Spirit. And yeah. Sun Organ record is yeah. so great. And I know that you've collaborated with them again. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, one of my, like, I don't know. I'm so glad that we're all still friends. I was, like, really afraid that it was going to go some other way. You know, I mean, I've known Tim since I was like a child. Yeah. And, you know, we grew up skateboarding together and talking about music and like sitting around just wondering like what, you know, what band would we want to be like or what record label would we want to, what like what community would we want to be a part of, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. And I just like, I'm really glad that we're still friends. Um, Just saw him the other day. I he was outside of my house and I threw my pants out the window and hit him on the head. It's <laughs> <laughs> a gesture of friendship and kindness. <laughs> so you started Cherry like pretty soon after. Um, who was in the first uh, incarnation of that band? I just used the word incarnation, so I'm like real self-conscious about oh, it. Oh, don't worry about okay. it. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah. I say um, everything all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um. The first Cherry thing was mostly me, like I had written the songs, kind of like demoed them by myself. And then I got my friend Pete to, on the on the first record, which is just the, the seven inch um, gloom, uh, my friend Pete, who was the original drummer of Kite Party, he played drums on it. And Pat Breyer, um, from Three Man Cannon, Queen Jesus, mm-hmm. Tiger's Jaw. I think maybe he was in Thin Lips for a minute. Uh, eight. Um, he's been in so many bands. But anyway, he um, he played like guitar on a song or two. Um, and then, I don't know, yeah, mostly just a project that I did. And then once I got like ready to play a show, thus began the like ever-revolving Yeah cherry golden apples lineup i think the first one i remember talking to eric osman from lamo i was like i got this seven inch or i have these songs i'd love to put them out you know and he was like we'd love to put them out and i was like okay but i don't know if i'm gonna be able to get a a band together to actually play these songs Mm -hmm. like i don't know if i can get anyone to play drums like i would love to ask pat but i think he's too busy pete lives in north carolina so i don't know how that's gonna work and he was like I mean, I would play drums. I I can play drums, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And he was the first drummer, you know. He was the drummer for most of the time, really. Yeah. Uh, Eric and I don't know. It was just it was really cool because he and I had already been really good friends, and then like this just like leveled it, like leveled, level up, leveled up our friendship mm-hmm. uh, in a way that was just like really cool and. Uh, so yeah, Eric was drumming and then I, I got Justin to play guitar from the beginning, I think 
Justin Fox, who was in Kite Party and Spirit at, for a little while and plays in Hurry now. He was also in Queen Jesus. Um, yeah, so it was like, and then I know Matt Shim played bass, and then at one point, at one point I kicked him out, <laughs> and then I got him back again, and you know we have like a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Shurman played. Mm. Uh, I think Matt Shurman actually played bass for our first show. I I don't remember. It's so, so foggy, funny. honestly. Did you always yeah, like? Yeah. I guess conceive of it as the you know the solo project with whoever's around. No, I think I was actually really afraid of that happening because I felt like I wanted to just like, I wanted to re, I wanted to get back that like amazing, like uh, mind reading chemistry that happened with Kite Party at a certain point where like, there would be moments where you're like playing music, you're just playing, you're making sound and you're doing it together. And it's like magical. It's like truly bewildering in that moment when like you don't know what's about to happen, but you know that it's going to be perfect and you know that it's going to work mm. and you know it's going to like transcend anything you've ever heard. Like yeah. that's how it feels in that moment. You know, you're doing the dumbest thing, but it feels incredible. And uh, I wanted to get that back. I didn't. I didn't believe in myself enough to be like, oh, I can just like teach the songs to my friends and like, we'll just do it that way. I like, no way I wanted like to be, I wanted to be in, in the, in the thick of it, you yeah. know, in the middle of the mystery. It's uh, so tough when it's, you're, you're so young and then you form this connection with people and you think, Oh, that's how it's just going to go when I yeah. do it with other people. And it doesn't. And then it's yeah. like, Oh shit. Well, now yeah, <sighs> I know. Did did you have an experience like that? Was that like maybe it's like a youth thing? Like I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot to be said about like playing with kids that, when you're growing up together, and like you know, yeah. you and Tim like going through those phases of like skateboarding, and then probably being into Blink One Eighty Two, and then being like, I don't like Blink One Eighty Two anymore. <laughs> You know, yeah, now I like yeah. the Walkman. Um, yeah, I'm changing. Yeah, <laughs> right. But I mean, not to jump ahead to things, but what you are talking about wanting, I think the best moments of Banana Sugar Fire are those moments where I can feel the band is really, really locked in. And that's why I think yeah. the best songs on your new record are the longest ones is because cool. I can feel that there's like a cohesion and there's really something special in what's being made. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I do feel like there is some of that energy that like, I don't know that like we're doing something feels different. It feels new. I'm not just like, Oh yeah, I'd play this three times and then we're going to do that one. We'll change the chord up. Like, I don't know. It's just like, yeah, I, I feel I was talking to Tim about this. We were working on we were working on the self-titled Golden Apples record. Mm-hmm. And we that was kind of a, an interesting thing because I had written these songs, but I wanted to like the Shadowland 
I completely labored over that by myself. That was like your COVID in, record, right? Yes, yeah. that was classic uh-huh. COVID record. <laughs> like literally at my parents' house, you know, total lockdown, like wiping off the groceries, playing drums at 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the deal for sure. And then so for the next one, I wanted to do the opposite of that. So it was like, okay, I'm going to write songs, demo them, figure them out. And then I'm going to just like assemble players, my friends, people who I trust and just like teach them the songs and see what happens in like a week, you know, yeah, like see what we can do. And so that was that. And I, I, it was interesting because like we had all been pretty much like isolating. Tim was going through health stuff and, you know, we were all kind of like hadn't seen one another for a long time. So we went up to the bunk in the Poconos uh, with Matt and Gus and Benny and, you know, kind of assembled this crew and just started working on the songs. And I remember, you know, late one night, Tim and I were talking and he was like, yeah, like Shadowland, you know, you like prove that you could, you could like do it. And this, you know, this record is like, now we're like taking it to a next step, but I want to hear the record that you write where you just like own it, where you're just like, yes, I can write music, mm-hmm. but like also like, I am just going to push it to the absolute max, Hell you know? Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know. I hope that, I hope that, I mean, I hope that he feels like I sort of tried to get closer to that with this one. Cause I was definitely thinking about that. I was definitely thinking about mm-hmm. that. You know, I was thinking like, I want to really just try everything I possibly can. Yeah. Man, it it is like pretty well laid out there. Cause, well, let's talk. Let's talk about that self titled record. Cause there's a thing. I, sure. The, there's yeah, a yeah. thing that I really, really like about it, and it, it in comparison to Shadowland, um, you know, when you start off with good times on the self titled record, there's just this. You know, you're brought into a room where it's like almost enough to just like celebrate the fact that all these people are in a room together, making music together. Um, Clearly that wasn't what the last thing was, but there's also just this like lightness that I feel on that self-titled record. Like let me do my thing is a perfect song where it's like, I can tell that you're kind of, you kind of got this like cocky grin on about like what you're, saying here but it's also like very touching in a um i don't know from a the perspective of someone who can like maybe take their life a little bit too seriously it's like nice to get (laughs) yeah what's up um yeah there's i don't know there's a whole feeling of like celebration that's going on on that record that's great i mean i think yeah it's just bringing together just energy live live living breathing people in a room you know and uh it was like it was a different process than i had done in a long time and i think it it does have that raw vibrance um Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean in a lot of ways i think that some of those songs are some of the darkest ones i've written in a long time uh definitely feeling i was definitely feeling a lot of of that um but I was like starting to imagine a world where there was like 
also positivity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can feel it. It's like, I don't know, it's um it's strident in that way. It's like it's like embrace I don't know. I don't know how to describe it other than there's like I don't know. Have you ever been fucking down and you just have to talk with yourself straight about like I don't know, like convincing yourself to get out of it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's something that I think I deal with very frequently. Um I was just as one of the things that I do all the time I was literally just talking to my therapist about this is um, I'll like, I'll recognize the way I'm thinking and talking to myself and I'll be like, all right, imagine your friend said exactly what you just said Mm. to you. Like imagine if your friend was dealing with what you're dealing with, how would you treat them? You know? And I, I often imagine my friend Dave, Dave Tomain, who is like just one of the most special people uh, in my whole life. And I just imagine like, okay, so Dave comes to me and he's like, I'm really bummed about this thing. I can't shake it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just imagine like the amount of compassion that I would share, you know, and show him. And I I would believe him. I would trust that he was really feeling this way and that he didn't have like bad intentions or whatever. Yeah. But when it's me, when I like, I hate myself. Like I'm Mm -hmm. so mean. Mm -hmm. I'm so, I don't trust my own feelings. I don't like, you know, I'm like really brutal. And one of the things that I've tried to do is just like, at least to recognize like, okay, you would treat your friend differently than the way you're treating yourself right now. So you have to, you, you have to at least allow at least at that. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That like, maybe you're being a little unfair to yourself. Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and just that little hiccup of like, cause I think when you're down on yourself, you're so confident. I mean, I am anyway, I'm, I'm so confident. I'm like, yes, this is clearly what's up. Right. It's this way, mm-hmm. obviously. And then, yeah, I've just been trying to like learn how to interrupt that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you're that you're doing well and that you have that that strategy there. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, my friend Pat Creed is a is a high school guidance counselor, and I just like he's my my vessel of like if I'm talking to myself in a way that is not fair, it's like Pat Creed. Like, what's Pat Creed gonna say to me when we're riding in the car? Because yeah. it's not gonna be anything like what i'm saying in myself and that's the thing too is it's only in my head it's never even said aloud because it's so absurd yeah i know oh god if i would yeah if i would just write down the things i would think and say to myself that would just it probably honestly just it's just pathetic but um it's so important to have those people in your life yeah people that you just like you trust absolutely people that you like know are gonna be like Yo, I hear you, you know, I hear this insane thing that you're saying or thinking, and it's like, it's all right. When did, uh, when did Mimi join the band? Uh, Mimi joined the band, I guess, I mean, I feel like the moment that she joined my life, she joined the band in some way. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, uh, 
because I, you know, she's just someone I've admired. The first time I ever met her was at a show uh, in Richmond, um, like in 2012. Uh, and I've always just known her as someone who is a great musician and just a great person, uh, you know, inescapably radiant, happy energy. Um, kind of the antithesis of myself often. Uh, and I just think, you know, it was pretty quick that I just trusted her. She's got such a good instinct. She has incredible instincts. Mm. She knows when something is good. It's yeah. like a sensibility that, that is, that spans everything that she's like engaged with. Like if it's art, she's just like gravitates toward something that I'm like, yes, I gravitate toward that. I, I see the integrity that you see there. Or if right. it's like, you know, she's taught me so much about, I don't know, like chairs. She loves chairs. Uh-huh. And I've learned a lot about <laughs> chairs. This chair on my wall is actually her chair. Uh, so it's like, you know, I feel like we just like very quickly began to appreciate one another's creative, you know, sensibilities and, um, I think that it wasn't long until I was like, I, what do you think of this song? Like, I would love for you to play in my band, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was like pretty quick um, that I wanted that to happen. But I think in Shadowlands, she was kind of like a, uh, how do you say, like a, she's like a board member more than a band member. She helped me make decisions, but she uh-huh. didn't always like, you know, directly perform just mostly because of the separate, like we were separated even during that time. Mm. Uh, I was at my parents' house and she was at her parents' house for a while. Um, but for the self-titled record, she came down or she came up to the bunk and played a bunch of stuff on that. And by the time Golden Apples as, you know, Golden Apples, not Cherry, uh, you know, played at the first show, um, she was in the band. She was playing guitar. Yeah. Dude, she's just got such a great like. I was huge Nona fan. Anytime yeah. I can talk about Nona on this show, I'm yeah here for it. And it's awesome seeing, especially on the new record. Like she's singing so much on it. She's just got that just such a fucking great voice. Like she sings with integrity. She does. I know she really does. Um, I what I, one thing I love about her too is that she's just so like she's just her, like her sensibility is so clear. Like, you know, I just feel like it's, it's so cool to hear how Mimi exists in golden apples world, like how she brings her, like, you know, totally, um, defined and like, you know, confident voice, whether it's guitar or literally her voice Mm -hmm. into our songs, you know, it's just so cool. And it's always surprising to me, even though it's something I'm so familiar with, it's always surprising what she does. Oh, it's so nice. And it's just so cool. It's I'm, I'm so, I mean, I feel this way about, about Matt and Melissa too. Uh, everyone who is part of this band is, has been like so instrumental no pun intended to like everything that they're doing, everything that's happened. But I just feel like with Mimi, you know, we live together, we share our lives together in a lot of ways. And it's just like, it's been so cool to get to work with her so much. I love most, especially on the, on the new record, sugar fire, um, that passage that she reads in the bridge. And that song is like, that song is a tremendous piece. 
because <laughs> thank you you're it, it swells really really nicely you've got those stereo labby synths and drum mm-hmm. patterns and it's yeah you feel like it's going in a certain um oh no i'm sorry i'm confusing it with a different song it does have those things but <laughs> the bridge I mean, is so cool yeah and Mimi's well, like is reading that, song that, that Mimi section. Does the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just I love the coda. It becomes like really like an uplifting piece. And I was I listened to that like even a couple more times today. And I was walking the dogs, and I was like, "There's something like in this that's like it is like spiritually like giving me something that's more than just like." You know, I've liked your records for a really long time, but this is like hitting on on something something special. It's a different thing. Cool. I think when I think about that part, I always think about Spencer. Uh, yeah. Um, because I think that uh, so I don't know that part is just like it's like got his energy in it, and I remember thinking it when she was writing it. We were in, in the basement working on the song and I was like, or, you know, Mimi was like, I feel like there should be, it's like a, like a spoken word part here. I just want to like talk, yeah. you know? And, uh, you know, there's like the three man cannon song where, um, Spencer kind of does like a similar, I mean, a lot of his, his, his music was like that. Um, he would just like, basically like, speak and he would like perform poetry uh and it was like i don't know it was just so spencer just so like um yeah i think about that three-man cannon song that he sings it just rain falls yeah. falls and collects like yeah 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 i mean have you heard the um the uh the early animator stuff no the um or yeah it was like uh, collared urchin. Oh, okay. The, this is sounding familiar. Yeah, it's um, it's just like the the last thing that he worked on. Um, and it's like the most beautiful music. I can't really listen to it. Uh, it's it's like really difficult to listen to because it all happens so close to everything. Um, but those songs are just so so good, and they're so him. They're just mm. they're, they're you know, it's like his thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean. When we were working on that part, I just remember being like, Spencer would love this. Yeah. He would love this. He would love everything about it. He would love like what you just said. He would love the way you said it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I think about him. So when you say that, when you hear it, you hear this other energy. Mm-hmm. I just, I love thinking that, you know, maybe it's like somehow some little, some little Spencey moment kind of poking through. Yeah. That's nice. How you doing? with that doing all right yeah yeah i'm doing all right <laughs> um yeah that's tough um yeah there's a lot of cool ideas on this record too like i love materia is the song that i was getting uh mixed up with sugar fire there but it's just the way that that sort of like breaks up in the middle you know it, it feels like a song where it's like i see where this is going to end and then actually just got like a whole second half to it when that yeah. guitar comes in super fucking dope cool thank you um going back to guitar lessons like that riff at the end of that song 
it's like basically just like a pentatonic scale. And sometimes I think like, this is lame. Yeah. <laughs> but I like it. You know, it's, it's, I think when I wrote it, I wasn't thinking about it that way. It's like you start to become so critical afterward, but the instinctual thing to do that, I still believe in. So that's good. Cause I mean, I, it's, it's nice to see that you're, you've kind of hit this run. You put out three records in three years and I feel like you can't do that if you're overly critical of yourself. And, and I say that, you know, is that's a really hard thing to get over is that, yeah. um, that's that critic. Well, it's, it's like, there's two, there's, there's like two forces there. There's like intuition and instinct and criticism. And for me, I know that criticism is always there and it's always strong. It's always as strong as I can, uh-huh. I, it's it's as strong as I am weak, uh-huh. you know, like it's like an exactly opposing force. So I know that it's always going to be there, but I know that if I can ha- if I have instincts, if I have intuition, that's a special moment. And I need to like let that energy have the floor when it's there. Yeah. So I think like, sure, I'm going to hate the song after I demo it, you know, but right. like if I can tap back into that intuition, that moment, that spark that got me to where I decided, okay, I'm going to make a demo of this. That's like the first, that's the first moment of Mm buy-in. If I can like get back to the energy of that first moment of buy-in, then it's like, okay, you know, negativity out for a minute. Let me just get this thought through and then like see what happens. Um, and so many of the songs on on this new record were like really, really wrestling with that force. Like every single song, and I swear every single song at one point I hated and was like, not only does this song suck, I suck and I'm wasting everyone's time. I'm wasting my own time. My life is a joke. <laughs> Everything needs to stop, uh-huh. you know? And then I'm like, wait go back to the source, you know, and I'd like try to find the moment of the song that I liked. And maybe it would just be like this one thing, maybe of all the things, all the tracks that I had already, you know, committed to in the project. It's like, no, I only like this guitar tone. So then I'm going to start there and I'm going to build it back up with things that give, that feel good. It's moving towards things that feel good. And then like, and then I would break through every single song. I had the same opposite feeling where I was like, oh man, this song is actually awesome. That fucking and, rocks. <laughs> but it was like really, it was like, I was, I was scrambling, man. I was like, I was, I was scratching my way out of that shit for sure. Every song. <laughs> I love it. You made it with a few different folks. Zach Robbins at the metal shop. Matt at the bunk. Yeah. Did some stuff yeah. at, at home too. Yeah. So honestly, the way this record started was with Evan Bernard. I was like asking him, I wanted to do it all myself. I have an eight track tape machine. I was like, I'm going to just do this thing all by myself, blah, 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 me, 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 whatever. You know, I was like more, I was just like, we have a practice space now and I can record it in the practice space with the band Mm -hmm. and it'll just be easy. You know, this will be an economical and efficient way to go. So I started doing that. I borrowed a bunch of stuff from Evan and he helped me kind of like scheme out how I should do it, like what I should use and whatever. And so I started that. And then 
in case you haven't gotten the impression from me yet that I am uh, not in love with myself. <laughs> I was like, after I'd recorded some of it, I was like, oh, this sounds horrible. Why am I doing this? I should not be doing this. I don't know how to record drums. Uh-huh. What am I thinking? So I scrapped all of that. And then we recorded, re-recorded all the drums and like some of the basics with Zach Robbins at the metal shop. Um, and then I was like, okay, this is sounding great, obviously. Mm-hmm. So now I feel confident enough to like layer on a bunch of other stuff. Um, so then I did most of that in my basement. And, you know, Matt would come over, Mimi would, would hang out and we'd work on stuff together. Um, and then, yeah, took it up to the bunk with Matt to actually like mix it and kind of like get the vibe together properly, you know? Mm-hmm. I did the best I could with the, with the everything in my basement, but Matt just has this ability to like not only understand what I think is so amazing about the way Matt works is that he can get the best of like the creative spirit, the thing that speaks in these abstract terms, like it should be more foggy or it should be purple. Mm -hmm. And also like, Oh, we need like some more low end. Yeah. That's the problem. Right. It's like this, it's like X frequency Mm -hmm. that is missing. He can like understand all of that stuff. And, and like, he's such an amazing artist that like he collaborates when he works with you. It's a collaboration. It's like, he's truly like an artist on the record, you know? And I rely on that so much every time that we work together. Um, I was just texting him earlier today how grateful I am (laughs) that we work that way. And um, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. It's a sad day when I don't get to, it's a sad day for everyone really because it's not going to sound good if I don't get to work with Matt. So it's like, (laughs) I'm really glad that I get to do that. Uh, Records out now, Lamo Records, you're home since the beginning of this project. Um, Dude, it's, it's another it's another great one I've been following for so long and it's like so exciting to see you hitting new strides in your creativity. Thank you. I mean just got to keep seeing what's under the next rock, I guess, you know. I I don't want to ever do the same thing twice, but I I know I mean my music isn't like crazy. It's not as interesting as I want it to be probably, but, um, I think that I do, you know, I'm inspired by all the people around me and it's, it's completely like, this is the product of these people, you know, Mm -hmm. like the way brain plays drums, the way Matt sings, like Matt Sherman's voice is like this incredible thing that I'm so grateful to be able to like, you know, have it be a part of my project. It's like, incredible and um i don't know it's like i think that yeah everyone that is involved in this thing makes it what it is and i think it's just really i've been i've been really lucky i've been able to work with amazing wonderful generous talented people over and over again hell yeah dude um (laughs) i love it i love to hear that thank you so much for coming on dude Thanks so much for having me. I've I've been listening to so many of the episodes and it's really just like such an honor to, to be able to speak with you. I, you ask Shit, such man. great questions and you have such a, a big heart and thanks for having me on. Thank you. <laughs>
Sugar fire is the one for you.